The Security Champions podcast is brought to you by Security Journey. We help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. Learn more at securityjourney.com. Hey everybody, welcome to the Security Champions podcast. I'd like to introduce myself. My name is Michael Birch. I'm the Director of Application Security here at Security Journey, as well as I am a developer that is passionate about security. I have a non-traditional technical background. I do have a military background where I spent time as an Army Green Beret and Army Ranger. I left the military to pursue my passion in technology and I have dived down starting as a developer and moved my way into security and now I've got to the best place ever, right? I get to work in application security, the best of both worlds. Um, we are doing the Security Champions podcast because there's always a need to break down the barriers between teams of security and teams of development. And in my mind, it's one large team and we need to learn to work together. One of the best ways to do this is through security champion programs. So we're going to invite guests on. We're going to talk about security-related topics that we think are good for security champions to know, how to build the programs, and basically just anything security we really want to talk about. So for my first guest, I could think of no one better than my <laughs> then my mentor and good friend, Chris Romeo. So a little tidbit about Chris Romeo. He's the CEO and founder of Security Journey. And now he's moved on to his new passion at Cur Ventures, where he's doing a lot of speaking events. He's came up with a framework, the Security Champions framework, as well as a bunch of other ventures that I'll let you kind of let him dive in and tell you about. So Chris, application security, where'd you get started and what's kind of led you to where you are today? Sure. I mean, I'm, I'm best known for hiring Michael Birch at Security Journey. That's, <laughs> that's on one of the top things on my bullet list, for real. Um, yeah, I mean, so as you said, I, I started Security Journey, kind of went all the way through that path, and then ultimately uh, we reached an exit uh, back in May of last year. And since then, you know, I've, as you mentioned, I've been kind of just kicking around, <laughs> doing a little bit of this, a little bit of that, a little bit of consulting, some advising and some investing and whatnot. But, you know, the question was, how did I get into application security? And well, that probably goes back to, you know, the years that started with 19. Um, back in my first, my first entry into security is, is kind of, I, I think of that as my entry into AppSec because I think I've always been an AppSec, even before we, we, we called it that. And I'll kind of explain as I tell you a little bit of my story as to why I think that is. But I got into security on accident. So I'm sitting in a job fair. This is back in the years 1997. We're in Washington, D.C. The, they used to have these giant job fairs where defense contractors would literally, you would stand in a line, they would interview you, and they would say, go stand in that line with HR, and HR would write you an alpha letter, you would sign it, and the next day you'd be at work. Like It was, it was a crazy time in the world of, 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 of everything, of, of work. And so I'm sitting in this line for a giant defense contractor. There's about 200 people in front of me in this line, and I look over to the side, and there's a guy sitting in this room typing on his laptop, and nobody's talking to him. But he's got a logo on the door. And I'm like, okay, you know what? This, this, uh, this thing will be here. Like this line, I can get in the back of this line after. I'm going to go see what this guy's doing. So I went in and I said, hey, you know what? My name's Chris. What, what are you doing? And he's like, oh, well, we have a security consulting company. Now, granted, take, this is 1997. Like nobody knew what that was. And it was a government security consulting company. And he said, hey, we happen to be looking for a sysadmin. 
I said, oh, that's exactly the skill set that I have right now. And so I went through a number of interviews, and, and not, I, he didn't hire me on the spot. I had to go to their offices in the, in the coming weeks. But he, they ultimately hired me, and they said, you know, you're going to be a sysadmin for about a year, and, we're gonna, and then we're going to make you – over time, we're going to turn you into a security engineer. I said, oh, great. Don't really know what that is, but that sounds awesome. Uh, hopefully someone will explain to me what a security engineer is and what, what a security engineer does. But I was so lucky to be in that company because that company was filled with people who were really famous and had done big things in the world of the United States government's kind of security. I mean, we had the chief scientist, the guy who had retired as the chief scientist from NSA was on staff there. I didn't. Now when I'm looking back, I'm like, I asked that guy so many dumb questions. Why did he even answer? But he would always, like, you could go to his office and say, Marv Schaefer is his name. Say, hey, Marv, um, can you explain this to me? And he'd get to his whiteboard. He'd draw some pictures. He'd say, okay, this is how this thing works. It goes like this. I look back now, and I'm like, I was talking to one of the most brilliant minds in security at the time, and I had no idea what was happening. So that, that also gives me a lot of passion to mentor other people in our industry and anybody who reaches out to me because I literally stood on the backs of giants. I didn't even know it at the time. But I say that I've been an AppSec all the way back into those days because I learned fundamental things. I learned how to threat model back in those days. It was understanding what the system does, understanding how to determine the risk levels and what are the threats and what are the potential vulnerabilities and what are mitigations. These are all things that we were doing. We just weren't calling it threat modeling. And so, you know, if we, if we flash forward a little bit, you know, after I worked at Arca Systems for a number of years and then I went on to Exodus Communications who acquired Arca and I have, <laughs> I don't have time for that story today, but it was a web hosting company. We had, three out of every four clicks on the internet for about two years. So we had everybody was a customer of ours. You could name a company from that era and they were in our data centers. And so lots of security hijinks ensued from DDoS attacks to just people compromising machines. And so I got to investigate and, and consult with some really high stakes kind of companies that were trying to figure out the internet. Um, and then from there, I, I, I was was very much blessed in that I had an opportunity to go into Cisco Systems, where I spent 11 years, and I think that's really where I grew up in my security career because I got a chance to deploy big programs, but also lead security conferences around the world and and uh, lead the training program that led ultimately to the founding of Security Journey. And so coming out of Cisco. Security Journey started as a result of the training program that I had built at Cisco, left all the stuff behind, but then started Security Journey to bring those same principles to the rest of the industry. And that was seven years of my time at Security Journey from the start until we reached the exit just last May. And so right now I'm kind of, now I'm in that phase of kicking around and trying to figure out what's next. I would like to say that it's it was it was a great experience even from my perspective to watch the part that I got to see because we joined together it was day one and the first time we were in a real office right there was five six of us in that office putting together the desks and putting computers on tables right yes everybody should do that their first day of work like you walked in the door and, and we're like hey Mike nice to meet you here's a wrench 
and a, and a screwdriver. If you could assemble your desk, you'll have some place to sit. So it was a good team building exercise. It was a great team building. Like before you ever have to work with anybody, like hand someone a screwdriver and say, okay, we got to mount this on a wall. Then you see like, okay, can we work together or not? Right. That's yeah. when you really get into it. <laughs> we all, we all figured it out too, as we were going there. So yeah, that was a, that was a special time right in the midst of the global pandemic when everyone else was going home <laughs> to go to their home offices. We were like, let's, let's think differently. Let's kind of bring, uh, you know, everybody into an office. Yeah, and you know what? It was a great experience and great ride to, to kind of watch that and get us to where we are now. Um, one of the things I actually like to throw out, you kind of throw out threat modeling, and this is my own little sales pitch for me and you coming up in the next few months. RSA is coming up, right? So we're going to be doing a meeting together and doing a little bit of a threat modeling workshop at RSA. You want to tell me a little bit more about kind of what we're doing there and kind of yeah. get a preview? Yeah, I mean, the, the title of the workshop is Threat Modeling Red versus Blue. And so, um, you know, you and I did that, that workshop last year. Uh, where we had two sessions of, of threat modeling, kind of a kind of a hands-on workshop that we where we went through and taught people about threat modeling and then let them do some exercises. Well, this year we're raising the game in in that it's red versus blue. So we're going to have a series of different teams spread around the room that are part of this workshop. There's going to be two different designs. Each team's going to get a, a design. They're going to have to come up with the threats around it. And then they're going to switch with another team who had the other design, and then that they're going to have to create mitigations. And we're going to be scoring it all the way through, so they'll they'll be head-to-head -head winners, and there'll be an overall winner in the room. But you can basically think about it like a threat modeling battle royale. That's the you know, if I had to summarize it in a couple of words, now people will be nice, and there won't be anything flying around the room. But other than brain power, you know, as people try to discover the best threats, the, the best possible mitigations, and earn the most points towards being the ultimate threat modeling champion of the workshop. You know, one of the things I always enjoy when we do these type of workshops is the interesting ideas and stuff that people come up with. I can't wait to see what happens this year when we're actually doing a little bit of red blue team, um, red team versus blue team. And they're going to, I'm hoping for all sorts of crazy new, fun, exciting ways to exploit and defend. Yeah, I think it's um, going to be, I think it's going to be pretty exciting. It's going to be, it's going to be a new, new approach that, uh, you know, we're trying something brand new, but you know, it's, it's letting individuals participate on the red team side and the blue team side. So often, and I know people call that purple teaming, but that's effectively what we're doing here is we're giving you the ability to play on both sides of the equation with a different problem and get scored on it. And ultimately you can win the entire room. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm really excited to see kind of what comes from that. Now we are as part of the security champion podcast and into the name, I got to ask, so your experience and kind of what you've seen in security champion programs up until this kind of point, kind of like, tell me a little bit more about how, what your view of this is. Yeah. I mean, just, just by way of a little bit of history so that folks can understand where I'm coming from. Uh, for me, security champions is not a theoretical exercise. And so one of, I talked about my, my 11 year time at Cisco, um, in kind of the second half of my time at Cisco, I was responsible for Cisco's security advocate program, which is effectively security champions. And the program had gone through a number of starts and stops, like a lot of these programs do. But when I picked it up, there were about 20 people. Um, I will call it a ragtag group of champions because these were the really security passionate people because they were still hanging around even when the thing had kind of fallen apart. And so I took that and started investing in a number of things we're going to talk about as far as, you know, things you can do to, to make champions programs excellent. We'll, we'll get into a lot more detail about that, but I started doing those things and 
I even went out to San Jose, which at the time and still is, is kind of Cisco's corporate headquarters, lots of buildings. And I went cube by cube. I had a list of people I wanted to try to get as champions. And I literally went cube by cube and knocked on people's cube walls and said, hi, my name's Chris. I have a strange question for you. Do you want to be a security champion? And I managed to get a number of people to join up with that 20 person ragtag group. And we started doing monthly meetings and, you know, kind of a whole security conference series around the world and came out of this. Uh, but all of that to say, like I've done security, like, like I've been a leader of a security champions program. And so I, what I share comes from experience and stories and things that have been successful. Um, and I've also had the opportunity to talk to a lot of other people, consult on a lot of other security champions programs that different friends in AppSec are, are running, you know, well, they'll, or I've, I've been invited to come in and take a look at what they're doing and just give some suggestions. And so um, all of that to say, I feel like I've, I've felt the pain of trying to run one of these things. And that's why I love to talk about them and share these experiences because everybody's trying to do the same thing have the same goal. We want to unify a community of collaboration amongst developers who are have some amount of spark in security and we want to we want to pour into them and educate them and coach them and mentor them and then send them out to bring that passion to the rest of the organization and so that's really kind of my high level take on champions one of the things i've noticed about this year too i'm calling 2023 like the year of security champions because I, I feel like I've seen across the board that this is the year that people are starting to realize and release a lot of good information and documentation and guidelines. I'm pretty sure I just saw the other day that OWASP was coming with a security champions guide, right? Yeah. To add on to everything else. So this is like, like, this is the year. This is the year to embrace security champions and really bring them in to elevate that level of security culture, right? Yeah. I mean, there, you mentioned this. So the OWASP project is called the Security Champion Manifesto. And um, it's it, it was released a week or two ago from when we were recording this in the middle of March. And so it's out there. It's live on OWASP's site for people to uh, to look at. Um, you also you mentioned there's there are some other things. There is a Security Champions playbook, which is another OWASP project. Uh, I don't know if OWASP is going to blend all these things together into a single project. I think right now they're kind of there's a couple separate entities. Um, there's also my friend Dustin Lair did uh, the Security Champion Success Guide which is another document um, that, that he took all of his, he did similar to me that I did with the framework that we're gonna talk about, except I chose to, to kind of put, put my output into a maturity model that had various levels. He took a different approach and said, I'm just gonna write about all of my experiences and all of the things that I've learned. And so, I mean, I referenced the Security Champion Program um, Success Guide right in the in the framework that I created. It's at the bottom in the references. Go check this out because Dustin's a brilliant guy and he's got uh, he's has a lot of experience, similar background to me. He's done champions programs inside of companies, and so it's not once with him, it's not theoretical either. It's bringing you know bringing this stuff out into the industry. Well. As we're, I feel like we're at the point we're ready to get ready and start talking about the framework and everything you have to bring. But before we jump into the segment where we're going to deep dive into the Security Champions framework, um, we are going to take a quick break, going to do a short commercial from our sponsor here at Security Journey and let you know about our product. None of the top 50 university programs teach secure coding in their curriculum. 
At Security Journey, we help enterprises reduce vulnerabilities through application security education for developers and everyone in the SDLC. With almost 700 up-to-date lessons created by industry-leading security experts and a programmatic approach that creates security champions, our programs have increased AppSec knowledge by as much as 85%. Visit securityjourney.com to try our training today. All right, well, thank you for taking that short break, and welcome back to the Security Champions Podcast. Here where I'm talking with Chris Romeo, and we're going to be diving into the Security Champions Framework. Now, Chris, you wrote the Security Champions Framework. Kind of give me an overview of what it is and kind of the problem we're trying to solve here. Yeah, certainly. So when I think about the framework, kind of the high-level way that I describe this to people, Security Champion Framework provides both a measuring stick and a roadmap generator for champion programs. And so what I've done, and I've gotten some input from some of my other friends in the industry, is capture all of the best practices that I'm aware of in the world of security champions and drop them into a maturity model. And so this is a measuring stick in that you can use this as a tool to assess your existing champions program and see according to the way I think of the different maturity levels where you land in a number of different categories. But you can also use it as a roadmap generator to say, I want to improve my program. So after I assess, how do I go from a level two in a particular area to a level three? And so this is all based on the OWASP SAM was kind of our influence, which is, you know, the uh, software assurance maturity model. Um, great project from OWASP to kind of assess the entire of an application security program, uh, but I thought their, their their model was really powerful of using this these different levels of maturity and, and, and giving you some clues as to how you can move from one to the next. And so from a high-level perspective, it's about giving you a tool to assess where your program is today, but also a roadmap generator so that you can, you can aim for a higher, a better future where you are improving in particular areas of running the, the, and executing the program. That's an interesting uh, kind of concept to me because I've always kind of seen the the approach with Secure Champions is like a binary. Are we doing it or not? And that's a lot of the times the way the companies kind of evaluate themselves. You're taking this model of like, okay, so what? Even if you're doing it, maybe you're just at a level one. How do we improve that program? How do we get to those next levels? Yeah. Um, can you kind of give me more like some more details about how the framework's kind of put together? Yeah, so it's it's broken right now into five different areas, and then there are sub-areas within each of these. And so the document itself is available on GitHub, and you can add a note, uh, you know, add a, uh, a link to it in the show notes because it's it's Creative Commons 4.0. Like this is this is available for the community. It's that's I released it in such a way so that anybody can do whatever they want with it, and which also means people can give me feedback. And I will add that feedback. I've already gotten uh, reviews from Izar Terendash and Brooke Schoenfeld, two people who are, are pretty well known in the AppSec space and have a lot of opinions about champions. They brought, gave feedback and I was able to address that. So we're, this project is totally open for feedback from anybody that wants to help improve it or ask questions or anything else about it. But when we think about the different, the different ways that it's broken down, so the five distinct areas that, that the framework contains today. It starts with planning. So these are your activities that you need to scope the, the program and build a strategy around what you're gonna try to achieve. 
And then the second area is what we call people. And so this includes recruiting. How are you, how are you signing up new champions? Retaining, how are you keeping or re retention? How are you keeping those champions engaged and excited about the program so they don't all quit? Capturing commitment, how are you, how are you, uh, capturing people's interest and signing them up, and then ultimately onboarding new champions. What processes have you laid out to ensure that a champion, when they join the program, they don't feel like they're, they're lost. They feel like they have a path towards understanding what's expected of them and, and being a full-fledged champion. Third area is marketing. Um, you know, the, the, the funny story for me about marketing is that, you know, I was probably, I was in a, I was in the phase of my Cisco career where I was running the conferences and things around the world. And, and one of my good friends from my Cisco days, Tony Vargas tells me, he's like, you know, we're, we're actually in sales and marketing. And I'm like, dude, no way, man. Don't even stop that. We're not in sales and marketing. We're security engineers. This is what we do. He's like, well, what do, think about what we do. What do we do? We travel around and we tell people about security and we get them excited about it and, and get them to commit to do it. I'm like, oh, okay, crap, I'm in sales and marketing. But that's okay, that's a good thing. So we have a section on marketing in the framework here where we talk about how, you know, what, what have you done to brand the program, to communicate with all the stakeholders, various levels of what you can do. Uh, the fourth area is what we call execution. So these are your program pillars, your coaching, your education. I mean, Education is a big part of your champions program. I'm, I'm a firm believer that the education program that you do, like what Security Journey offers, has to be very cohesive with the champions program. They cannot be two separate entities because the champions are the ones who are going to be pushing and learning the most out of the education platform and also helping to bring other folks in. Final part of execution is globalization, one of the one of the forgotten champion disciplines. You know, most companies don't all exist in one geographical region. You have like I at Cisco, I had people in India, I had people in China, I had people in Europe, I had people I had everywhere. Like every time zone I had people. And so I had to do some things to ensure that we were able to serve those different populations as we got to a certain size. There were other things we could do to serve them well. And then the final area is really measurement. So metrics for demonstrating value that you generate in the program. So we gotta be able to report back out to our leadership so that they can see the value of the things that we're doing from a champion's perspective because we're gonna need some money. We're gonna, this isn't something we can just, we can do it for free, but we're, but we're not gonna be super successful if we have a zero budget. We need some money to, to toss into this program to make some of the things move. How do we get that budget approved? Well, we have to have metrics that show how effective we're being and, and the benefits of the program. So from a high level perspective, it's planning, people, marketing, execution, and measurement. So when we're talking about these frameworks, there's a lot, a lot more in depth than I think I've even, I've ever looked at Security Champions program. Um, one of the biggest questions I get when people are, are starting these programs and maybe not in the farther levels of maturity is how do we get kicked off? How do we get started? Um, does the framework kind of give some guidance into that frame of like, how do I even get to that level one framework? Or does it really give you the measurement tool to see where you're at and then maybe some tools to get to the next level? Uh, so kind of there's a in the root of the security champion framework uh, GitHub repo, there is a readme.md where we have I, I've put a bunch of thoughts about programs in general, you know, things like how do you name it? Uh, why do you need champions? What is a successful champion? What's the value for the champion? The return on champions program for the company? And then uh, Brooke Schoenfeld provided some feedback, which I think is good for people to answer your question about when you're starting. 
he he shared with some feedback that I that I took and just pasted directly into this model um, of different champion program models. So one of those things that you have to decide up front. It's not really a maturity thing, so we didn't put it as a direct piece of the of the maturity model because how you solve the problem is not. I'm not going to say like one approach is more mature than another because I don't know if, you know, cause like Brooke in this, in his input here, you know, he talks about really three different models. You have a central team and security referees. So that's kind of like where the central security team and then the champions are referees out in the, in the market or in the business units that are, that are judging various activities and telling people what they can do. Um, you have a central team and then security engineer champions where the champions are handling the basic security tasks and then the complex functions happen in the central team. And then his third one, you have fully empowered security satellite where, you know, that, that are where security people are spread throughout development. So where, where you have reached this stage where the security team has gone deeper into all of the product teams and there are security representation everywhere. So there is a lot of guidance in this document in that read me about getting started. If you're, if you're coming in completely cold and you're like, what is a security champion? What are some of the models that I could use to try to do it before you're even ready to talk maturity? There's some guidance here in the framework to help you understand. So the nice part I'm hearing about this framework then is it's kind of agnostic on the approach you take. It's more saying, hey, are you accomplishing the task that you need to based on the maturity you think you're at? Yeah, yeah. We didn't want to, we didn't want to prescribe a scenario for that you had to do champions exactly the way that I think you should do it or Brooke thinks or Ezar or anybody. Like we want it, we want the framework to apply to multiple models of how you approach this. And it's more about the the most what I think of as the kind of the non-negotiable areas, things like retaining retention of people. I don't care how you do champions, retention is a crucial area. Because if not, it's just like customer retention. Like if you don't take care of the customer during their first year of using your service, then they don't renew. Well, same thing for champions. If you don't deliberately take care of them well and ensure that they're acknowledged and their management knows what the good things are doing and they're feeling like, oh, I'm getting a lot out of this. I don't want to quit. That, that applies to, I don't care what model you're using for champions. I will argue that retention is important an important part of it. Because if not, you're turning over your champion group every year and you're not getting anywhere. I don't care what you say. You know, you're not getting anywhere with it. Yeah, I think that's important. From a business standpoint in general, if you're going to ask somebody to do additional tasks, you have to recognize that effort, that extra effort, one way or another. It doesn't matter if it's monetary, it doesn't matter if it's recognition, it doesn't matter if it's chance for promotion. But somehow, if you're going to ask for effort, you need to um, provide them with some sort yeah. of... Uh, obviously something right and you 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 you've captured what i think is one of the most unknown and unrecognized concepts within the world of security champions and i've been talking about this for about 2 years now and and here it is it's actually pretty simple the biggest mistake that most people make when it comes to champions is they make it all about the company it's what can this champions what can the champions do for us as a company and I and, and so what I do now is I flip it all the way back around and say, what can the champions program do to enrich the lives of the developers, the jobs of the developers, the future career aspirations of the developers? And when I when I put them first and and practice, you know, kind of putting them in front of any of the other goals, 
I end up with a champions program where nobody wants to leave because they're getting value. And then when they feel appreciated, then I ask them to go do something to improve security inside of their particular product. And of course they're going to do it. They're, they've bought into it, but it's because I, because we value them and we, and we provide something to them that they say, Oh, this, I don't, I don't want to be, don't, don't kick me out of this. I want to be here. Like I want to do more for security because they see the value. And so that's what folks really got to get their heads wrapped around early in the champion process is saying, this isn't about the company. Yes. The company is going to get some benefits from this, but if you make it about the company, then it's just another program and the developers can't wait to get out of, out of it. You've completely flipped that kind of paradigm where it's like the idea is just another program, right? If I just shove security training in front of you and say, you have to do this, check block, move on, right? Nobody's going to want to do it well. Nobody's going to be enthusiastic about it. But with this whole thing, you've changed the security champions from an asset and you've made them the customer, yeah. right? In our mindset, they, as us running those programs, our security champions, our customers, how can we make our customers happy so they keep returning and using our product? They yeah. keep being security champions. Yeah, and I, I mean, and you'll see a, a bunch of this sprinkled into the into the framework as well. Like for example, at Cisco, one of the things I did is I went to ISC squared and I said, I want to pay for a CSS LP class. I want, I want to pay for, and I want to just bring a bunch of people. So we did a six week instructor led over WebEx. So it was ISC squared, like one of their top CSSLP instructors did a six week course. I think we did three hours sessions or four hour sessions. I don't remember what it was, but I, but as my champions program, we, we wrote the, we just wrote the check. And so I was able to to get to invite twenty. I, now I used I brought the top people that the ones that were really getting stuff done and were really just killing it. Those are the people that I invited, and everybody, all the other hundred champions were like, because we talked about. It. I'm like, I'm not going to hide this. I'm like, you know, we've chosen these people because they've they've gone above and beyond helping us to move security forward, and so we're bringing them into this this class, and we paid for the exam too. So that's a six hundred dollar. The class was probably worth two grand a person and the exam was 600. So they didn't have to, yeah, could they have gotten it approved by their manager? Yeah, if they would have really gone and, but all we did is we, we wrote the check and we said, come on in, take part in this. And here's how you take the exam when you're done. Welcome to being a CSSLP. Cause that's one of the value props we give to you as champions. It's, it's amazing when you flip it around on them. I mean, another thing I did, um, we, we built a master's degree in cybersecurity from, through San Jose State. And it was specifically aimed at our security champions. The champions population had grown. Like when I started and I said there was that 20 ragtag champions, I, it was about 500 by the, time I, by the time I left Cisco. So it had exploded. So we had... Um, multiple cohorts of Cisco people. San Jose State would send professors to Cisco's campus and they would teach master's level cybersecurity courses based on a curriculum that I designed. And then they would go through it for two years. Cisco paid the whole, I got Cisco's management to pay the whole thing. There was no reimbursement. I said, can we just write a check for the first semester? And then after that, everything will be done via tuition reimbursement so the the champion would never have to take a dollar out of their pocket to make it happen figured out how to do that we had you know lots of people that graduated from that program and went on to to become security roles in different companies and so it was it's but it but once again if that wasn't about me i didn't do that like it wasn't it wasn't like we did that 
master's program because it helped the company. It's, it, it provided a value to the champions and it caused more people to go, wait, there's a, like you get to be in a master's program here. Well, you know, when you get to a, you had to be at the, the elite levels of, of champions that were getting invited into the program. But people from the outside are looking in going, holy cow, you're getting special training. You're getting, you're getting, you know, no money out of pocket for master's degrees. You're getting, you know, you're getting to be part of this network. Um, and it was just a huge value proposition for the champion themselves. The company got a lot of value out of it. Don't get me wrong. But when we thought champion first, that really created an environment that people just were, people were knocking down the doors in the later, latter days of my time at Cisco. People were knocking down the doors trying to get in. They're like, oh, how do I get in? And then we were able to do cool things like set basic requirements. Oh, so you want to be a champion? Here's what you got to do first. You have to go through a certain level of the education program before you can even be considered to be a champion. You have to get the, the you have to get your manager to approve a, a certain amount of time that you're going to put like so we could get really selective then because we had matured the program in such a way that everybody wanted in. I wasn't going around twisting arms anymore. It was people knocking down the door saying, "Hey, let me in. I want to be a champion now," which that was a pretty pretty fun time in the program. I mean, I feel like that's that's the ultimate goal. If you're doing this right, you should have people that want in and you should be pushing back saying, hey, we can only do so many right now in the support. Yeah. You gotta be at the top tier. One of the things that I find so interesting is the way you were able to leverage the education benefits in a way that benefited not only the employee, which is the true incentive they have for long-term, like, hey, this is gonna impact me for the rest of my life, whether it's a cert, whether it's a master's program, but you're also providing them education just to be better at doing their job when you're working, they're working with you, right? Yep. So you're investing in somebody that's giving an, gonna give a return, right? Their expertise is gonna be used at the company, but it's also good for them for the rest of their life, right? So finding those really uh, unique scenarios where you can add value to the company and and the individual is is so important i think and i think it's way better than like okay well you get a saturday off next month right like that that's okay there's a good when you're restricted maybe on what you can offer as um a reward for being part of the program but the better more high programs i feel you can do way better value for the learning in yourself yeah. if you do it correctly. yeah and, and i didn't have access to those things on day one right that was yeah. multiple years of successfully growing the program to a point where I could even go to the executive VP at the time and say, yeah, can you just pay for this for us? Like I didn't do, that wasn't like, that didn't happen in month one. That happened in year four of some, a lot of grinding that happened in year one and two to get the program back on track and get people back engaged. And so I don't want people to hear this and go, oh, well, my company, I could never do that. Like it only, you know, with success, success breeds success. And so having some success in the program allowed us to gain more success by getting EVPs to approve spending what in their budget was actually a tiny amount of money in the grand scheme of their budget um, to, to enable us to have that level of program. But you can get started, and that's why we, we, I laid out this model, the roadmap and everything, the, the champion's framework the way I did. There's some level one things you can do that can help you build towards those higher level things in the future. You got to get level one fixed first or resolved before you can start thinking about the bigger pieces. I think one of the other things in this is, and a common theme I'm seeing, this is a patient game. Like you don't just start, like start a security champion program day one, and then all of a sudden my vulnerabilities and my code are cut in 
half and all of a sudden great return on investment right off the bat like it takes time to build these programs to really see those ROIs in that like culture change that we're hoping to kind of enforce yeah i mean it's this is this is turning the battleship that's what security culture let's call it the cruise ship this is turning the cruise ship like if you ever been on a cruise ship they don't make a quick turn and go left they're, they, they, they slowly begin the turn and it takes them half an hour to, 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 you know, to go 90 degrees difference. Um, you know, from going straight to going left, it takes, a, it takes an hour to make that turn. They can't just turn the wheel quickly. Same thing with, with champions programs and security culture in general. Like you can't just expect like, oh, well, I'll just do this and three months later, everything will be great. No, everything in three months will be just about the same as it is now. It takes years of time going in this to really put this together and make things happen. And so just know you're in for the long, the long haul, like whether it's your education program, your champions program, these are, you know, security culture change takes time and you will see good things happen along the way, but don't expect in three months, like, well, we have this whole security thing figured out. Nope. It's not going to happen. Sorry. Now, leading on the kind of conversation we have here of like a long program, it takes time to build up. Um, just asking from your personal experience, like what's some advice you can give out to people that are trying to adopt this framework and starting to kind of roll out their programs and increase that maturity, kind of highlight areas you think they should really call out? I mean, it it's, it's really comes down to starting starting simple and working your way up from there. I mean, everything, the way that I kind of laid these things out is – you know, let's take coaching, for example. Coaching is something that I think is a is a very under, it's, people just aren't doing it today. People haven't embraced this idea of security coaches. And so when I think about, um, you know, the various maturity levels under coaching, for example, maturity level zero, which is true for all of the framework, when it's a level zero, it means you're just not doing the thing. Maturity level one is volunteer coaches. You have champions who are saying, hey, I raised my hand, I can, I can help coach people. Maturity level two, you have people on staff that are, that are dropping in in different areas and doing coaching. Maturity level three, you have dedicated coaches assigned to particular jobs or particular teams that, where they're full-time coaching in, in, in regards to security. You look at coaching and say, well, where, you know, for somebody that's starting out fresh, where do I go from here? You know, it starts with uh, just having some level of volunteer coach. For example, and from there, I have to have you know a deeper, uh, a deeper understanding of of what the particular business is doing and whatnot. You know, from a program perspective, you you know the the security champions the the kind of the classic approach is to go with the monthly training session. That's that's one of the the first pillars that you have to set up and get rolling. And so that's one of the things that people need to figure out. And that's why under program, under the execution, uh, maturity level one for, for program is monthly training. You know, ha having that monthly training that happens on a time, a consistent time and date doesn't get canceled. And you're bringing champions in to be a part of that. You're, you, you're reaching out to industry folks to help you along that process. Like that's one of the first pieces that, that is kind of the, the main things that comes together there. Um, when I think about, you know, recruitment, getting people, you know, um, that's, that's something that you're going to be thinking about very early in the process as well. How are we going to, how are we going to get that initial set of, uh, of, um, champions brought in underneath people? You also have commitment, which is, you know, how are we going to get them to commit? Um, and so one of the things that we did with the maturity model, this was some feedback I got from, I think it was, uh, might've been Ezar, might've been Brooke. 
using a, a time metric. So if you look in the framework at um, the people and then the commitment level, you know, um, maturity level one, people are, are committing to one hour a week on their champion activities. That's a good place to start. Maturity level two, two to four hours. Maturity level three, they're putting a full eight hours of commitment in per week. They're putting one day out of their five-day schedule is being dedicated to their security champion activities. But with all of the things in the framework, level one is where you're going to start. And that's how we, we set it up the way we did on purpose so that if you're somebody new and you're like, okay, where do I begin? Read the readme.md and then go through and look at the level ones and see, you know, pick three of those level ones and say, this is where I'm starting. Also have the other level ones in your view, uh, but you may look at your program and go, I don't really need coaches off the start. Okay, great. That's fine. You know, it's your program. It's your, this isn't a... This program, this this framework is not 100% prescriptive. Like you have to do it my way, or it's it's not right. It is it's about giving you ideas and then giving you kind of a a pathway to be able to know how to get from zero to you know level three on various various pieces of the champion story. So you kind of actually preluded me to my next question because I was going to be asking about the fact that 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 level one and we're looking at it if. As a custom program, I see there's like eight things I'm supposed to do. I don't know the exact number. I'm not looking at the moment. But before I start pursuing those level two, do you think it's important to cover all those level one bases or just start pulling on the strings that are just working for you? I mean, I think it's I think it's up to the individual program person to know. You have to know your culture. You have to know your company, your organization, wherever you're doing this. Some of these things are probably not possible inside of some companies. I'm okay with that. Like... Like it, this is not the goal of the security champion framework is not to say you have a hundred percent compliance. This is not a compliance document. This is about ideas. And so if somebody goes and they take one thing from the level one and they're like, the other two things are like, eh, I don't really think that's important for me here. Okay. This is, this is my thought process on what I've seen be successful and what others that I know have seen be successful. It doesn't mean that's the only way to do something. And so this is about giving you ideas and not as much about saying that, hey, I, I complied with, I don't want anybody to say I'm, my champions program is level two compliant. Like if I hear that, I'll probably delete the, the repo from GitHub. <laughs> so that, and that's, that's something I think that's a big takeaway on this is this is, sounds like a great tool that we can go in, check out to see where we are and come up with ideas on where we can improve or gaps we can fill, right? Yep. It's kind of a, a holistic framework to adapt to our environment. It's not the only truth that you must follow every step of in every way. Yep, that's 100% true. That is a good way to summarize how I see it as the person who is the primary author of, of most of this document is it's, it is not the definition of truth. There are, there are other things that you can, you can apply other things that aren't in here. Now, if you think of them, please open a PR and help us make the framework better. If you do something and you're like, oh, they don't have that in here, open a PR, we will commit it and we will add it so that we can all help other people grow their programs in the future. Okay, well, before we wrap up on the Security Champions framework, is there any other tidbits of information that I maybe didn't ask you about or something you just want to tell about the framework and the program you're working on? No, I think we've, I think we've, we've, div we've, we dove pretty deep into it. And I think folks will have a good understanding for what the framework is. Why did we create it? What's it good for? How can it help them? I guess my kind of call to action to the audience would be go take a look at it. Go. 
assess your program against it. Um, if you things you think that we missed some things, great, tell us. We'll add them in. Um, and also give us feedback. If, if you used it and it was valuable, let us know as well. We'd love to know that it's, it's providing some value to the industry across the board. But the key with something like this is you just got to go apply it. You know, we can't, we can only talk about it for so long. Then you have to go do some work with it and see if, see what type of value it adds for you. Well, that's a great ending in Chris fashion. Cause I love it. And you say it all the time. We can only talk about so long. Let's do some action. Like I, I, I catchphrase for you would be perfect right there. <laughs> So, hey, I thank you for spending some time jumping on the Security Champions podcast, sharing the Security Champions framework with us. It's always a great time to jump on and chat with you and talk about things security. Thanks for the opportunity. Now, for everybody else, thank you for coming out and listening to Security Champions podcast. We will have another episode coming up soon. I hope you come and join us as we dive into more security-related topics. Have a good evening, and always remember, security is a journey, not a destination. The Security Champions podcast is brought to you by Security Journey. Security Journey is an enterprise-class secure coding training platform with lessons that are built on learning science principles to deliver long-term, measurable results. Learn more at securityjourney.com.